tendencies. They take initiative. They are uh, easily described as a self-starter. They come from a strong family of leaders, able to think for themselves, act decisively, purpose-driven, etc., etc., etc. And you're getting pretty impressed. So you decide eventually to interview and hire this person. Um, you've just hired the person we're talking about today. Her name was Athaliah. But instead of all those qualities being used for good, we'll see how they were used for bad. Let's take a look at it, opening up to 2 Kings chapter 11. 2 Kings chapter 11, we'll start in verse 1, but a little bit of reminder where we left off. We kind of had a cliffhanger last time we were going through the story, because in 2 Chronicles, but we're going to 2 Kings 11, but over in the other parallel passage, we notice what it says here. It says, then he searched for Ahaziah, king we talked about last week. They caught him. He was hiding in Samaria. They brought him to Jehu. And last week, you remember how he was killed by Jehu. But it concludes in the last sentence. It says, so the house of Ahaziah had no one to assume power over the kingdom. He had no more sons uh, to take, or there was nobody who was ready to take over the kingdom. So we pick up the story in 2 Kings chapter 11, verse 1, because there's this power vacuum. And Athaliah, being that self-starter, initiative person, decisive leader, decides to make some moves. Verse 1, when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she wept, mourned, had a funeral for the... <laughs> I wish it said that, right? She saw there was an opportunity to be queen a second time. She rose and destroyed all the royal heirs. We're talking about grandchildren here uh, and other people who are in some way connected to her family or related. But Jehosheba, the daughter of King Jehoram, Joram, the sister of Ahaziah, in other words, her stepdaughter, uh, was a good person. Look at what she did. She took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered. And they hid him in the house, or they hid him and his nurse in the bedroom from Athaliah, so that he was not killed. So he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord for six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. There's a lot of drama that is going on in this passage. In just three verses, we could they could make a whole movie of the scenes going on here, and it would not be a pleasant movie to watch. Athaliah realizes who's next in line. Well, just a bunch of little kids. Her son, remember, he died at 23 maximum, so he couldn't have had children that were that old. Joash being the youngest, he was only about a year old. Um, it's possible she didn't even know that Joash existed uh, because they were able to hide him away and she wasn't asking, hey, where's the little baby? Uh, why didn't you get him? 
Uh, it's possible that she was distant enough from her grandson that he didn't, she didn't realize he even existed. So Athaliah, with some bloody and bold moves, takes over the kingdom and begins to rule. But as we mentioned, this was not the first time that she had become queen. You'll recall from previous studies that she had actually been queen previously, but not the sole ruling queen. Uh, she had been married before. Flip back just a page or two to 2 Kings chapter 8. Let's look at this again real quick. 2 Kings chapter 8, we see there in verse 16 through 18. A reminder, Athaliah has been around for a while. It says there, Now in the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, having been king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, began to reign as the king of Judah. He was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done, for because the daughter of Ahab was his wife. This was Athaliah. Uh, you see it even mentioned more explicitly in the parallel passage in 2 Chronicles. So he walked in the ways, not of his father, Jehoshaphat, who tried to serve the Lord with his whole heart, but he walked in the ways of his other father-in-law, Ahab, because of his wife. So as queen, she's there for eight years, and she's influencing her husband. Hey, honey, that's not how you should do it. I'll tell you how it should be done. Hey, we're not going to go to the temple. We're going to set up our own gods. I want the, the gods of my family, not the gods of your family. And she led her husband and consequently the nation down a path of more and more idolatry. And the passage concludes there in verse 18, the last phrase, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. We've talked again and again about influence. Be careful, be aware of what's influencing us. Athaliah was queen, but she wasn't a good queen. She was influencing her husband in the way of the Baals. And he gladly went. We don't see that he put up resistance. We're not putting all the blame on her, but definitely she was a serious consideration. So we've got that going on. She's queen, but then as you recall, uh, her husband dies. Remember he got that letter from the prophet Elijah? We talked about this a, a few weeks ago. He gets a lot of letter from Elijah. Elijah is saying, hey, because you're not walking in the way of the Lord, you're not going to continue to rule. You are going to die. Uh, even mentioning how he was going to die. And then that very thing happened. And for two years, he had this bowel disease. Uh, and he died this this uh, painful death. Athaliah was by his side witnessing it happening. She knew about the letter. She knew about the prophecy over his life. She knew he chose not to repent and accept a different uh, a future. She saw what happened to her husband. But yet her heart was still hardened in rebellion against God. She stuck around in the ways of her family. 
We can see that there in verses 26 and 27 of chapter 8. Ahaziah was 22 years old. Now we're, we're focusing now on her son. 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was what? Athaliah. So now she goes from influencing her husband to influencing her son. Look at what the Bible says. Mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri, king of Israel. And he walked in the way of the house of Ahab and did evil in the sight of the Lord like the house of Ahab, for he was the son-in-law in the house of Ahab. Again, this influence is uh, being perpetuated. It's growing. We also see that she led her other sons down the wrong path. Chronicles 24, verse 7, um, when the time of Joash comes around and he starts to repair the temple, he has need to repair it uh, because it says, for the sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman had broken into the house of God and had also presented all the dedicated things of the house of the Lord to the Baals. So this is like uh, total abomination for the most holy place in Judah. Uh, the sons of Athaliah, they've broken into the house of God. And what are they doing in the house of God? They're taking the dedicated things, those most sacred vessels, uh, and they're presenting them to the Baals, to the other gods. Uh, perhaps some of the vessels that would have held the blood from some of the sacrifices, and now it is being used uh, as vessels for Baal. Uh, much like, you remember in the book of Daniel, when there's that handwriting on the wall in that temple scene, they'd been using the sacred vessels from, that had been stolen from the temple, and they were using them as goblets to drink from. Uh, a highly offensive thing. Um, and Athaliah and her sons are doing the same thing. So we see a very consistent lifestyle, um, unfortunately, that is leading her husband, leading her sons, leading her nation away from God. So it should come as no big surprise to us that when opportunity strikes... That, that she answers the call. Now, it's been noted that perhaps her moves to kill her family off were done partly because of fear. Jehu, as we'll talk about at a future time, had already been killing off the house of Ahab in Israel. Athaliah was in Judah, but perhaps she feared if she didn't make a move that she too would be eliminated. And while that has been suggested, if you were a decent person and you were afraid for your life, instead of killing your family, you could run down to Egypt. Um, that's what, that's what um, had been done previously by people who feared for their lives and they found refuge in Egypt. So she begins to rule. And it's interesting because we actually don't have a lot of details about her rule. You can read the passage in 2 Kings, you can read it in 2 Chronicles, and there really aren't many details. We really know nothing about her reign, except that when it was over, the people were really happy. Uh, and some commentators have suggested that the fact that we don't read much about her reign is because the, the writers didn't like her, and they didn't care to remember and record 
those deeds, like some of the other bad kings and leaders we've seen here in our journey together. So while she's ruling, meanwhile, little Joash is growing. He was just a baby when his aunt saved him. His aunt was married to the priest, so she had access to the more sacred areas or secluded areas in the temple. Joash is growing. Next week, we're going to be talking more about the life of Joash. And so we won't get into all of his details, but he's growing and he's learning. And they're waiting for the right moment, for the right time. So let's go back to 2 Kings chapter 11. And we're going to pick up the story because eventually, after six years of her ruling, the time is right for a leadership transition. So it's been set up, 2 Kings chapter 11, verse 13, been set up for a coronation ceremony inside of the temple area. Joash is standing there by the pillar. He's got the book of the law in his hand, and the crown is being placed on his head. And Athaliah notices the sound of this commotion going on. Look at verse 13. It says, Now when Athaliah heard the noise of the escorts and the people, and she came to the people in the temple of the Lord, and she looked, and there was the king standing by a pillar according to the custom. And the leaders and the trumpeteers were by the king. And all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing the trumpets. So Athaliah tore her clothes and, and cried out, Treason! Treason! It was probably much better than that. You know, we've been hearing, just in the news, uh, different people politically saying, oh, this is treasonous. No, that is treasonous. Well, this uh, was uh, a very dramatic scene in the Bible. Athaliah was claiming treason, but nobody cared. Nobody cared. Look at what happened. And Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains of hundreds and the officers of the army, and he said to them, take her outside under guard, and slay with the sword whoever follows her. For the priest had said, Do not let her be killed in the house of the Lord. So they seized her, and they went by the way of the horse's entrance into the king's house, and there she was killed. This is a pretty dramatic story, pretty gross story when we think about it. Um, now keep in mind, while we identify the, the actions and behaviors of this queen as bad, God wasn't taking delight in this. The Bible says that God doesn't take delight in the, the death of any wicked. He doesn't want anyone to perish. But like a good surgeon has to, to cut into the body to remove cancer that's destroying the whole body, God has to allow these things to happen sometimes so that people cannot get totally sidetracked from him so that they can know and be saved by the one true God. And so we, we wrestle and we encounter these difficult situations. But it's interesting to note, and we'll see this a little bit later, that the people were relieved when this happened. The people were re relieved. But before we read the, the conclusion of the story, I just want to ask the question, how does anybody get to this point where they kill off their family, their grandkids, for personal gain and advancement. And by the way, we're talking about Athaliah today, but what she did was no worse than what some of the other kings 
had done. And we read stories previously about kings who killed their brothers off so that they could become ruler. Um, so she's no worse than the other bad kings. This is just the story that we're in today. But how could anybody reach a point where they find themselves doing away with their family so that they can become more powerful? We've said already perhaps there was some fear involved. Certainly people do things when they're afraid. But, but again, if your heart is in a good place, you're not going to kill off your family. But we've seen in her life that, that she was raised in a home where God, the God we serve, wasn't the God that she served. So she already was operating under different principles. She had a different moral fabric for her life. She had opportunity with knowing about Jehoshaphat and the good things that he had done. She saw how fulfilled prophecy had resulted in the downfall of her husband. She had opportunity to accept, but for some reason didn't. She clung on to the idols that she was familiar with. You know, idolatry is a really interesting thing. Uh, it's often... We like to have idols in our life, and usually we're thinking in our context of not so much like golden Buddhas that we're worshiping or little Baal statues, uh, but we participate in idolatry in a lot of more subtle ways. But idolatry is interesting because it's almost as if we're not comfortable worshiping a God that is so big and so immense, and we want to bring God down to our level so we make a God that we can control, that we're more comfortable with. And archaeologists have dug up the Baal figurines, and they're not that big. They're not that scary looking. You can move them wherever you want to. But it's something that, that we have control over, and we can choose more how we interact with it. God wasn't allowed to be depicted in ancient Israel. Uh, but people have a hard time uh, grasping this God that we can't see sometimes. And so we make gods that we can visualize, that we can see. How does somebody get to the point where Athaliah got to? And I think in short, the answer is one step at a time. One step at a time. You don't wake up one morning and say, the previous day you say, I love my family, and then that day you say, I hate my family, I'm going to destroy them all. Right? It's a gradual thing. Step-by-step -step process. I was listening and remembering the words of a song by, by the group Casting Crowns, and they wrote this song called Slow Fade. Listen to some of these words. Some of you know the song. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's the second glance that ties your hands as darkness pulls the strings. Be careful, little feet, where you go, for it's the little feet behind you that are sure to follow. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white are turned to gray. And thoughts invade, choices are made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day, it's a slow fade. It's a slow fade. Be careful, little ears, what you hear when flattering leads to compromises. The end 
is always near. Be careful, little lips, what you say, for empty words and promises lead broken hearts astray. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white are turned to gray and thoughts invade. Choices are made. A price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. It's a slow fade. And the song continues. It's those little choices that we make every day that decides where we go. Day leads to day, week to week, month to month, year to year, and pretty soon a lifetime has been lived. If you just get off one degree every year, pretty soon you're totally off course. One time I was leading a hike or a guy's retreat. We got off to a super late start. They didn't know that wasn't our plan, but that's just how it worked out. We'd planned to get to the campsite that evening, but we're starting off at like 10 p.m. on this hike. But it was a guy's retreat, so we were going to embrace the, the challenge of it. So we're on our hike, and we're going down the trail. I'd been down this trail before, but I hadn't quite got it right the first time, and now it's the dark. And I'll tell you what, it doesn't take but one wrong turn to get off of the path, and pretty soon you miss the path, and you can be going totally off, totally away from, the, from where you're supposed to be, right? Have you done that before? Sometimes the path is not quite as obvious. So there we were, lost. <laughs> but we didn't tell the guys that. They just assumed it was a part of the experience. And we, we didn't bother to correct their, their understandings. Oh, so we just embraced it. Unfortunately, I had a GPS that had the trail on it. And I was able to get us back to the trail. And we stumbled into our campsite at 3 or 4 in the morning. Um, but I tell you what, it was an awesome trip. But I learned... <laughs> I learned that... When you get off the path, it's easy to stay off the path. It's easy to continue going the wrong way. But it's often not a, a, a single big mistake. Sometimes it's just a little mistake. And then another one, and then another one. And that's why we keep emphasizing that the daily choices we make are so important. Athaliah, day by day, pursued these gods that were not gods, and they led her to do things that just horrify us. The Apostle Paul talks about the effects of idolatry in Romans chapter 1, talking about people who, who knew better, but chose to ignore what they knew better. <clears throat> it says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They could have known better, but they just they went with the thinking that was leading them astray, and their hearts became darkened, and they swapped out the awesome, uncontainable God that we have 
for just an image of a God. And therefore, God just let him go, as sometimes parents have to, gave them up to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies amongst themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. It's easy to find ourselves turning to other things. And a lot of times, the creature that we worship can be ourselves. It's really easy. An idol can be something simple. It can be anything that, that becomes bigger and more important to us than God. Squeezes God out. Even if we claim that God is most important to us, do our daily choices and our actions demonstrate that? Well, it's, it's, it's fun to watch sports, but I tell you what, I have to be so careful that sports doesn't become more important to me than it should be. It's fun to be entertained in this world, but we have to be careful that entertainment doesn't become our idol. Uh, there, there are just a million things, whether it's fame or money or sex or our job or, or this or that, it's easy to let little things become big things. And pretty soon our hearts are more drawn to those things than they are to God. So what exactly happened in Athaliah's heart? We can't say for sure. But it was choices day by day that led her down this path. But I tell you what, we're going to end the story on a positive note because with her removal, look at what was able to happen. Back in 2 Kings, we're going to wrap up the story. Chapter 11, starting in verse 17. It says, Then Jehoiada, that's the priest, made a covenant between the Lord, the king, and the people, that they should be the Lord's people, and also between the king and the people. And all the people of the land went to the temple of Baal, and they tore it down. They thoroughly broke the pieces in pieces its altars and images and killed Matan, the priests of Baal, before the altars. And the priests appointed officers over the house of the Lord. Then he took the captains of hundreds, bodyguards, and escorts, and all the people of the land, and they brought the king down from the house of the Lord. And they went by the way of the gate of the escorts to the king's house, and he sat on the throne of the kings. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet. For they had slain Athaliah with a sword in the king's house. Joash was seven years old when he became king. Here we see, before Reformation, before Reformation, they just made a commitment to God. They said, God, we're going to get back to you. We're going to start serving you. And then, based upon their choice and their commitment, they worked it out with practical decisions in their lives. They said, oh, we can't have this altar to Baal anymore. We can't have this temple anymore. We've got to get it rid, of, rid of it. Are there altars to other gods in your life? Are there idols in your heart? God wants to give you a greater um, experience with him and a, and a greater filling of his presence. Um, and if you want to commit yourself to him, then God invites us to think about practical ways. What can I do in my life? Where are the altars in my heart and how can I tear them down? The people were happy when they put 
a rightful heir on the throne, and when they had recommitted themselves to God. Every day, we have an opportunity to recommit ourselves to God. What do you want to do today? I want to recommit myself to God today. And I want to be willing to say, God, are there idols in my heart, idols in my life? Am I making small choices that are leading to other choices that that could lead me away from you? It's a scary prayer, but it's a prayer we need to pray, asking God to reveal in our hearts where we're straying, if we're straying, and how to correct it. But we can learn from the life of Athaliah, and we can be prevented from doing something horrible down down the road that we never would imagine ourselves doing. We can prevent that by sticking with the Lord now and embracing the love and the peace and forgiveness that he offers us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm grateful that you love us so much um, that you take time to try and correct us. You see how the idols in our hearts and lives are actually hurting us. We don't maybe realize it now, but you just want us to have better hearts and better lives guilt-free, and living uh, just the joy and abundance that you've given us. So I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to be willing to ask you, and when you reveal things, that we'll be willing to surrender and say yes. Give us joy, Lord, as we serve you. Give us opportunities to make you look good this week. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Have a happy Sabbath, and I look forward to seeing you soon.